This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Whether you're making a delicious family meal or a post-workout snack, choose the farm-fresh taste of Eggland's Best Eggs. Only Eggland's best hens are fed their proprietary all-vegetarian feed. That's what makes their eggs more nutritious. With 10 times more vitamin E, 25% less saturated fat, and 6 times more vitamin D compared to ordinary eggs. Eggland's Best. Better taste, better nutrition, better eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Smart Food Popcorn. Some decisions aren't the best, like skipping ahead in your favorite podcast. Think of all the banter you'll miss, the lore in the making. Luckily, Smart Food Popcorn is a no-brainer. Deliciously tasty and available in a variety of fun flavors. It's a smart decision every time. Smart food. Add smart. To learn more, visit smartfood.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. So welcome to the BBC Music Magazine podcast. I'm Rebecca Franks, the magazine's managing editor, and with me in the studio today are editorial assistant Freya Parr and reviews editor Michael Beek. Hello. Before we get started, do head out to buy your copy of the March issue now. Even better, if you fancy subscribing, we have a special discount for our podcast listeners. All of you can now get 30% off every six issues, which takes the cost to just £25.15p. You can claim the offer by visiting buysubscriptions.com forward slash music podcast. We'll be taking you on a behind the scenes tour of the magazine shortly. But before we do, let's find out what's been in the news recently in the world of classical music. Freya, I believe you have news of a couple, in fact, of exciting new conducting appointments to tell us about. Yes, much news in the... um conducting world. Uh, lots of change. I think it's that time of year, so there might, it may have been more by the time this podcast comes out. So firstly, Dalia Stasevska is the youngest person and first woman to be given the role uh, titled conducting position at the BBC Symphony Orchestra, and she is their principal guest conductor, and she'll be starting at this year's prom um, going into the new season. Um, and the position actually there has been unfilled since 2006, so it's quite exciting for them to finally have someone in that position. Um, and also in Northern Ireland at the Ulster Orchestra, they've got a new conductor as well, Daniele Rustioni. Um, all the fun pronunciations today. And he is usually known as an opera conductor. Um, and we're actually going to listen to him conduct the CBSO and actually his wife, Francesca Dago, in Paganini's Violin Concerto Number no. 1. And it's the third movement rondo. 
And that was Daniele Rostioni conducting the CBSO and Francesca Diego on the violin in Paganini's Violin Concerto. Um, and he will be starting as the principal conductor of the Ulster Orchestra in September of this year. So, yes, all change. Um, and he will be there for three years initially with the option to extend. So, yeah. Interesting cases. Yeah, yeah, and Dahlia starts at the proms, doesn't she? That's her first yes. official engagement. Which is a nice, nice place to start. It's definitely, a big definitely. place to start. And it's, it, the BBC is really adding to its roster of women conductors as well, which is great, because mm. uh, Zhang's at uh, BBC Now and yeah. Sophie Jean at BBC Singers. So it's, yeah, yeah building it's a, nice a really team. nice selection of, of conductors. more balanced. Definitely. <laughs> and I've, I heard um, Daniele Rostioni conducting Welsh National Opera, actually, a few years ago, and he was just like this ball of energy, and he was a real live wire at, fantastic conducting so I think that's a really exciting appointment as well especially as the Ulster Orchestra had a a funding crisis a few years ago so they've been through a really kind of tough chapter in their Mm -hmm. history Um, but they've survived the past few years and they had Raphael Peare conducting who's now leaving to go to San Diego so yeah sounds like a really strong appointment for the the next chapter. Mm. He's looking at doing quite a lot of Italian music they've kind of given tidbits of what we can expect from their first season and it's lots of Italian stuff and hopefully it'll be interesting to see what he does kind of coming from the opera world and seeing how that influences his conducting in the orchestral scene. So, yeah. And it'll be interesting with Dahlia as well. She's Finnish. Mm. So it's the second Finnish conductor at the BBC Symphony Orchestra oh, yeah. with Zachary Oromo in the chief conductor post. So I wonder if they'll carry on developing their Finnish, <laughs> yeah. Finnish repertoire. <laughs> well, all conductors and orchestras need a home. Um, and we already heard news a while ago of the BBC Symphony Orchestra's new studio, which will be out in Stratford in the east of London. But meanwhile, the London Symphony Orchestra has these plans to bid farewell to the Barbican and moved to the London Centre for Music. And just recently, the first architectural designs have been revealed for this. We've got uh, details of that in the March issue, actually. In fact, you can see the pictures of this uh, sort of wood and glass design. It's The, the hall is a kind of in, ra- in the round design rather than a kind of rectangular shoebox. They want to have sort of lots of open spaces for it to feel like a place where people can really spend some time. Um, there's also going to be a sort of multi-use building and that will have offices as well in the middle, I think, to help pay and fund for mm, this surely. big project, uh, which they think will cost £288 million Ooh. is the projection money which they still have to raise. Um yeah, and I was just interested by this really, not necessarily the whole question of whether we need another concert hall in London, but actually what it is that you want from a concert hall. And, mm. you know, um, obviously great acoustic is mm. always one of the things. But, I mean, one of my favourite halls, I love going to Symphony Hall in Birmingham, great acoustics, mm. just like a friendly place to be. And I wondered what, Freya and Michael, which halls you like going to and what you like in a concert hall? I mean, like, I always appreciate the little quiet place where I can sit and make, yeah. read my book or eat my sandwiches. <laughs> a cafe. Yeah, I mean, a strong cafe. I do, I mean, I love going to the Albert Hall just because the experience of doing so. It always feels such like an occasion to go there. Yeah. But I must admit, I do love a small venue where you get that proximity to musicians and it just feels a little bit less like there's a barrier between you, I think. Mm. Um, and having spent so many years working at St George's here in Bristol, that for me is, yeah. is like an ideal place to go to a concert. Concert, you know, spend so much time there that it feels like a real home for music. And again, you get that real intimate sort of atmosphere with the musicians, which I think is great. And there are plenty of other places like that in, in the UK and around the world. 
but it manages to feel kind of without being stuffy and yeah absolutely yeah that sense of community and feeling as you say like a home i think so and that's i think another reason why uh, newer venues are adding these extra spaces and the the cafe or the whatever the meeting space because it it's actually a little bit more than going to a concert it's going and experiencing and, and community and things like that yeah, it's a bit like um, whenever I go to the BFI, the British Film Institute in London, they've got amazing like sort of breakout spaces where they've got sort of iPads where you can just go and watch films by yourself. And it's, yeah, you're right, it's those kind of external without being in the main hall areas that kind of make more of it. Definitely. Um, I used to live in Australia and I think the Sydney Opera House is potentially the one of the most incredible concert halls ever. It's spectacular, isn't it? Yeah, I sang there when I was about 12. Really? And it was, obviously I couldn't go very often, but it's still... It's just like an incredible building. It looks a little bit like this, um, the London Centre for Music, and it's just sort of amazing space and the architecture and the position is extraordinary. Definitely. And I think as well, to sort of note what you were saying about whether it's needed or not, I think Mm. the point really is that all the great places that are in London were just built so long ago Mm. that they're not really fit for purpose today in the way we want to sort of experience music, I think, in terms of facilities and just in terms of maybe acoustic because engineering has moved on so far since the likes of the South Bank was built. Even that was Mm. probably one of the most recent, I suppose, in London. Mm. And even that's sort of, you know, a long time ago now. (laughs) And uh, for some of these bigger projects that Simon Rattle and the London Symphony Orchestra are doing, especially... um, I had a big Berlioz project they did and they had lots of of children involved as well at one point and so many musicians on stage and actually the space isn't even quite big enough for some of the scale of um, sort of community involvement or the scale of work that they want to be putting on. So I think there's probably a case on those lines as well. Definitely, yeah, definitely. Evolving. And of course, this one in the Barbican's not the only one in London which is being mooted at the moment. There's a Wimbledon concert hall that they're hoping to build, uh, a sort of 1,200-seater, so a little bit smaller than the Barbican one, which is 2,000. Um, but yeah, there's a whole project and the design by Frank Gehry, uh, who did the Walt Disney Concert Hall, amongst mm. others. So it's sort of interesting it's for London to see home. what will happen. And that area yeah. of London's not particularly well served in terms of concert halls. No, absolutely. And there's the Wimbledon International Music Festival, which uh, does a lot of concerts. Uh, each year and they used churches mainly yeah. because the, the one venue they did have which I think was a town hall was demolished in the 80s and wasn't ever replaced mm. um, so yeah I think that's exciting absolutely yeah. Needed, yeah. I know it's great to see as well London um, was sort of catching onto that wave of new concert halls that have been opening over on the continent so sort of famously um, the, the spectacular hall in Hamburg uh, spectacularly mm. over budget as well but you know these big kind of new venues that are opening up there um so yeah i think it's exciting yeah. that we're catching, Gotta keep catching up. that as well definitely definitely yeah. well why am i thinking about the future and, and legacy and all our sustainable sustainability michael i think you have a spot of news in that department for absolutely us. so music is joining the Plastics Revolution, which is, of course, taking the world by storm currently. Um, This is the news recently that Biss Records uh, has made a decision to uh, no longer uh, present its uh, recordings in jewel box packaging. Um, So all their future releases, once their old stock has gone, will be in what they're calling eco-packs. And it's uh, made of what they call certified cardboard, soy ink, eco-friendly glue and a water-based varnish. Um, And their first release is already out. Uh, It's a discord and a marden by Dutch composer Joel Bonds. Uh, And we can have a little a little feel if you like. You've got it's, one here, yeah. Do do pass around and <laughs> it's very smooth it's very and glossy. Smooth, isn't it? I mean it doesn't look very different to any other digipack, no. I suppose, except it doesn't have the plastic sort of in in liner tray. So it's all cardboard and all in sleeves. And then the disc itself is w- within an extra paper sleeve in oh, the side. Okay. Is it about the same? It's the same size as a regular CD. Is it slightly? I think it might be the same taller. size as a maybe yeah. as a digipack. Mm, I'm not yeah. sure. Um, it's very smart though. Isn't it, it? it really it is. Like a cardboardy. 
It doesn't feel. It, doesn't, no, it, it feels. It yeah. feels substantial. And uh, what they're saying is that although it, it's all of this, it actually costs twenty percent more to make it. Yeah. So of course, the cost actually is is, a, is an issue. Um, but but they're, they're absorbing that. They cost. are absorbing that cost, um, uh, and it, it weighs less though actually. So it's going to actually cost less mm. to, you know, transport around because of the carbon emissions and all things like that. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting move. I think it's a good thing generally. Um, but I suppose there is a question as to whether a CD jewel box is as a throwaway an item of plastic as some other forms of plastic that we're trying to get rid of. Yeah. I don't know. I always wonder about the plastic wrapping they have around the outside yeah, of definitely. the plastic jewel case. Well, that always feels... That's I know you know it's not been opened then and it's nice and new, but it doesn't feel necessary yeah. In, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Think how many of those we unwrap and pop in the bin? You think, oh, blimey, and they won't yeah. recycle it. You can't put that in the recycling. Yeah. For no, but at least I guess the actual case of the CD, usually people just... <laughs> it goes on a shelf goes on a and shelf. stays there for, I mean... In our office's case. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, interesting times. Well, yes. I was interested to read just today as well that in Helsingborg in Sweden, their orchestra there has decided in 2020 to 2021 uh, not to have any musicians travelling by air wow. because of... Uh, of green issues and, and um, that's a big really big statement I thought so I it'd be interesting to see how yeah. that news develops yeah um, wow might be something we can follow a bit in this podcast yeah definitely definitely great well I think that brings us to the end of the, the news section so we'll turn to this month's magazine this month's Don't forget, too, to visit our website at classical-music.com where you can read all about the latest music happenings, thousands of reviews and find a good deal more. Plus, we're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram and we have an iPad edition available on the App Store. You can sign up to our weekly newsletter via the website and if you head there, you can also find details of how to buy tickets to the BBC Music Magazine Awards Ceremony, which takes place on the 10th of April 2019 at King's Place in London. So let's start by unwrapping the cover CD that comes free with this month's magazine and giving you a taster of the music by this month's cover star. As you may have guessed from that clip, we're celebrating Hector Berlioz this issue. And that was an extract from his piece Harold in Italy, which was written in 1834. And it's the centrepiece of this gorgeous CD. Um, and it's played by the viola player Lise Berthaud, the BBC Symphony Orchestra and conducted by Nicholas McGagan. And on that free CD, you can also enjoy the Waverley Overture and La Mort de Cléopâtre. So Harold in Italy is actually the first piece of Berlioz I ever heard when I was at school and, um, and learning the viola. And actually rather like Thomas Hardy's Far From the Madding Crowd which I had to read from my GCSE English <laughs> at first I hated it and then I absolutely loved it and grew mm. to really adore it but I'm never really surprised when I hear Berlioz described as a bit of a Marmite composer I think he does provoke some extreme reactions but 
before we start talking about him, Michael and Freya, quick fire, what are your favourite pieces by Berlioz? Well, I'm going to choose uh, Symphonie Fantastique. And that's because it was used so brilliantly in the film Sleeping with the Enemy. Have you ever seen that with Julia Roberts? I've never seen that. Oh, my goodness. So it becomes almost like this theme for her psycho husband. It's his favourite piece of music. Oh, so when he's sort of venting, fantastic. he goes and pops it on the, probably a tape player because it was the early <laughs> 90s. And there's this great scene later in the film where she thinks she's escaped him and she comes home and turns on the stereo and the music plays and she thinks, oh, my goodness, I think he might be in the house. And the bath is overflowing and he's actually hiding in the wardrobe. Oh, my goodness. And it's just become just brilliant, like really ominous because it is. It, it was the fourth movement that you've used and it was oh, just nice. so well used that's become my favorite fantastic <laughs> how about you Freya? well i have to say i fall on the other marmite end of the spectrum with berlioz he's not my favorite um but i do very much like l'enfance de christ if i had to pick one of his um compositions i think it's i think it's pretty lovely and it's yeah we actually covered that in our christmas issue i think was that our we did as our building yeah. the library we did. Yeah. we did indeed yeah that was a nice introduction to that piece oh well if there's ever going to be a magazine to persuade you to <laughs> yes, exactly. love berlioz i think it would be this one yeah. um so in honor of the anniversary of his death of this 19th century french composer one of our regular writers and critics, Roger Nichols, who is one of the French music experts of today, has written a rather brilliant piece for us. Uh, I don't want to give it all away, but in the feature, he explores the revolutionary times that Berlioz was living through in Paris. He dissects how and why Berlioz felt compelled to follow his own idiosyncratic path in classical music, the challenges he faces, the hits and misses of his career, because there were quite a few things that didn't go his way, and the friends and the foes that he made. Um, so it's it's a, it's a really in-depth, really colourful... It's a, it's a fantastic piece. Mm. I really recommend it. Um, and then we've also got a sort of companion piece as well to, to go with that. Yeah, so we actually we spoke to um, a handful of kind of leading artists from conductors to singers to a violist, uh, Lise Berto, who's actually on our cover CD, um, about what their favourite pieces of Berlioz music was. And actually, they all kind of plumped for slightly different works, which was really interesting. Um, but yeah, no, actually, if anything was going to persuade me, they all gave very convincing arguments to, as to why these pieces were so great. Uh -huh. So, <laughs> Yes, you definitely sort of come away thinking, oh, I must go and yeah. listen to that, which I always definitely. love when, when the musicians are kind of yeah. really advocating for a piece of music and being passionate yeah. about mm, it. Definitely. Yeah. Well, we're then going to hop over to Germany, where during that period Robert Schumann was busy scribbling away. Uh, he had his own thoughts on Berlioz. Uh, he says, doesn't try to be elegant. What he hates, he grasps fiercely by the hair. What he loves, he almost crushes in his fervour, which I think was actually quite perceptive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the passions that, uh, that Berlioz would stir. Um in fact, he actually wrote a series of articles on the Symphonie Fantastique in 1835, sort of analysing the piece. And he sort of describes Berlioz being seized for the first time by the god of love. And he comes up with a description, he says, it's not that timid feeling that prefers to confide in the moon, but the gloomy fire one sees at night pouring forth from Etna. So <laughs> I think I like Berlioz more and more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, enough of that. Why we're talking about Schumann, Michael? Uh, what's in the uh, recording of the month spotlight this issue? Absolutely. So our recording of the month uh, for the uh, March issue is a fantastic album from Sony Classical called Fraga, and this is the first in a projected ten discs um, that Sony are releasing over the next couple of years. And it basically charts all of Schumann's uh, song cycle uh, cycles, and uh, they're performed by Christian Gerhaha and, of course, uh, Gerald Huber, who is his sort of 
duo partner for a very long time. And so this first disc uh, is absolutely sublime, great musical storytelling. And uh, we'll listen to a track before I say anything else. Sturb, Lieb and Freud from uh, the Gedichte von Justinus Kern, Opus 35, formed by Christian Gerhacher and Gerald Huber. Um, and they're also going to be working with uh, people like Camilla Tilling and Sibylla Rubens as well. So it's going to be a really big project, but it's off to a great start. Mm. That's so beautiful, yeah. that clip. He just feels like he's speaking straight to you, yeah. doesn't he? Definitely. Re- really heartfelt, really lyrical. Um, I spoke to Christian um, a few, couple of weeks ago and asked him about his partnership uh, with, with Gerald. And he said, uh, if we're on stage and possibly not in the same rhythm, we don't have to concentrate in order to synchronise. It just happens by itself, like a big piece of rubber connecting us back and drawing us together. Oh, <laughs> just imagine them connected by this massive rubber band. band. <laughs> which I thought was lovely. But no, uh, lovely guy and, and lovely music. Yeah, fantastic. And now, as they say, on to something completely different. Kung fu pianists and breakdancing countertenors. Freya... What am I talking about at all? No idea. <laughs> no. We spoke to um, some leading performers um, about the mindful and physical practices that they use to kind of keep in shape and um, how it influences their playing. Um, so most people have heard about Yehudi Menuhin's kind of penchant for yoga. Um, there's lots of lovely pictures of him in various yoga positions. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was very surprised here how many artists use um, such kind of eclectic practices from yoga to meditation to yeah break dancing which not necessarily a mindful practice but the things you had to say about it were fascinating um, and I spoke to clarinetist Jean Johnson about body balance which is actually a um, it's a class I've done before and it's kind of a mixture between tai chi and yoga and sort of bendy things and it's all done to music um, she's an instructor and it's, it's really interesting how to see how she kind of takes her teaching practice of that into how she teaches her students um, in the clarinet. And it was fascinating. And they all talked kind of about the influence of the breath. Um, Yeah, it was fascinating. So, uh, yes, I found it really, really interesting. And um, one of my favourite things in the article is the pictures. Some great photographs of these artists doing their thing. And I particularly love the breakdancing. I think it's just fantastic. Yes, the breakdancing countertenor. Yes. It's incredible. Yes, this is a good issue for pictures as well. Just because in passing, we also have a, a, a lovely picture on performers and composers with what well, we're going to say with their pets but it's a variety of animals essentially <laughs> but it's an yeah. excellent picture spread the so it just sort of grew it? it did because we found some fantastic people with snakes and parrots and then their dogs all, all sorts so i think it's a book in the making yeah i think it could be a table book that'd be amazing <laughs> massive book of <laughs> pictures of cats and composers <laughs> do let us know if that would be of interest <laughs> gap in the market 
So that's all in the March issue. Uh, plus, we've also got features on uh, Chopin's Funeral March Sonata, Liszt's Lost Opera, The Fate of Elizabethan Musicians, um, and a look at the reclusive piano genius uh, Alcan as well. So there's plenty to get stuck into in, in the March issue, which is on sale now. And now we're going to turn to First Listen. So before we kick off with sharing our favourite new recordings, we'd like to tell you about how you can get involved in sharing your musical discoveries with us and fellow readers. Freya, tell us about The Listening Room. The Listening Room. It is our little Facebook group we have um, started, and actually it's already thriving. Everyone's loving it. We're basically... um, Everyone kind of shares what they've been listening to, the recordings they've been enjoying, um, composers they've discovered, works they haven't come across before, um, and general kind of chit-chat about the classical music world and news within that. So hop along. Um, If you go to our Facebook page, it will be under group, um, and we've linked it there. So definitely come along and have a little look. That's a great idea. People love to share what they're listening to, I think. Yes. We'd like to be enthusiastic, I think, definitely. Definitely. Lovely place to chat. Mm -hmm. Well, I hope to see our readers there. Plus, you can hear our choice of the latest new recordings um, on our playlist curator page at Apple Music. Once you're there, just look for The Playlist, which is updated every Monday. And don't forget, if you send us a few words about what you've been listening to at music at classical-music.com, you could be in with a chance of being published on our Music to My Ears page. Michael, what have you been enjoying this month? Oh, this is my new favourite thing. So this is a piece called Night Owl uh, by Michael Doherty, who is just an amazing uh, composer, American composer. Um, this is a really interesting project. It's based on uh, a photographic uh, work, I suppose, if you like, a, a project that uh, was done in the 1950s and 60s uh, by a photographer called O. Winston Link. And it's photographs uh, of the Norfolk and Western Railway, which sounds really <laughs> dull. I grant you that. But <laughs> in music, it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, it takes in sort of the landscape and the people in the little towns that the train sort of chug through. Uh, so we'll have a little listen. This is uh, part three of the work. The work is 24 minutes long and it's just that track, that piece on the disc. Uh, this is part three, Thunder on Blue Ridge. Uh, Thunder on Blue Ridge from the work Night Owl, which has been has been released uh, a live recording of which has been released on Hampton Road Classics, which is uh, a label I'm not particularly familiar with, but uh, do seek it out. It's on Apple Music as well, uh, and it's performed by the uh, Virginia Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Joe and Folletta. Very fun, stick. Definitely look that yeah. yeah, I heard one of his uh, violin concertos actually played by the National Youth Orchestra a few mm. years ah. ago. It was fantastic. It was the first time I'd heard his music on a UK stage actually, but mm. it was so vivid and, yeah, I love it. and gripping. Okay, well, this month I have brought along a disc from the violinist Tasmin Little, and it's a programme of Clara Schumann, uh, Ethel Smythe, and Amy Beach, and 
uh, it's a recital programme, so it's with her pianist John Lenahan as well, and that's on Shandos. And it's just a fantastic disc. I, I've listened to it over and over, and I'm just enjoying hearing these really, really great, intelligent, gutsy performances of these um, these pieces. There are two sonatas, um, both in A minor, in fact, one by Amy Beach, who's an American composer, and one by Ethel Smyth, who's British composer, and then uh, some shorter pieces as well to kind of fill out and, and round out the programme. Uh, we're going to hear the finale from uh, Amy Beach's sonata, which is sort of very tempestuous and stormy in A minor, and as I say, really gutsy playing from Tasman Little. <laughs> That was the Allegro con Fuoco from Amy Beach's Sonata in A minor, Opus 34. Lovely. Lovely. I love that album. And uh, it's the uh, chamber choice, actually, for this month as well. So. Not surprised. Absolutely. Not surprised. Yeah, you can hear reading more about it. Finally, Freya, what have you been listening to recently? Um, something different again. Uh, this is the Polish violin uh, performed by violinist Jennifer Pike. Um, and she's kind of exploring her Polish heritage um, in this disc. And it's a collection of works by, here we go, lots of Polish names, Szymanowski, Moskowski and Karlowitz. They're probably incorrectly pronounced, so forgive me. Um, but they're all kind of late 19th, early 20th century Polish composers. Um, and it's just an like it's just a brilliant collection. It was our chamber choice, actually, in our February issue. We're all loving the chamber music this month. Um, but yeah, we'll have a listen to uh, Moskowski's two piano pieces, and it's the second of those, guitar in G. Lovely. So that was Jennifer Pike playing Moskowski's two piano pieces, number two, guitar in G for violin and piano. An amazing selection of music I wasn't particularly familiar with, so it was all new to me. Um, and it was all really rich and full of emotion and no holes barred. Um, and it's just a really great introduction to those composers. Definitely. And, real discoveries, I think. Yeah. And it's really incredibly well recorded as well. There's it's real beautiful clarity. ballads, isn't yeah. there? Yeah. So I love it when you it's new works that you're not necessarily familiar with and it's delivered in such great quality mm -hmm. yeah absolutely reliable one mm -hmm. <laughs> mm. 
Fantastic. Well, a lovely selection of CDs we've got for you. And as I say, we look forward to hearing what you've all been listening to. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the BBC Music Magazine podcast. And we'll look forward to being back here next month when we'll be talking about our April issue. Goodbye. Bye. Cheerio.